Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. If there's one thing that I have learned in my years of investing, business ownership, etc., it's that we really have to dig to understand what is going on in the economy, financial numbers, etc. There was a recent article in Zero Hedge where it talks about the GDP number that was just released, which, by the way, was 3.3%, and they were projecting two. So, you know, there were so many people touting the fact that, you know, this is exciting, and uh, this is, you know, we're, we're not going to have a hard landing, we're going to have a soft landing, and we may have one. The thing that I've realized through all of this is we really have to dig deeper to understand what's really going on. Here's the interesting thing. In this same article, it talks about how for every dollar of GDP growth, the national debt actually increased by $2.50. So it takes $2.50 of additional debt for every dollar of increase. And the quarter four budget deficit increased substantially, way more on a percentage basis than GDP did. So is it good that GDP is high? Absolutely. But there's other uh, factors and indications that we really have to be paying attention to. And by the way, the St. Louis Fed, right off of their database, said that for the first time ever, um, our debt service has gone above a trillion dollars. So we need to be paying attention to this stuff. And I'll dig a little bit deeper into this. Um, earlier today, this is Zero Hedge, we reported that according to Biden's Bureau of Economic Analysis, the fourth quarter U.S. GDP grew at an all-time torrid pace at 3.3%, which again is good. It's good for businesses. It's good for um, you know the people. It means that there's still spending happening, um, which is five sigma beat to consensus estimate of 2%. So we beat the projections by 50 plus percent. Oh, you know, exciting, right? Above the Wall Street forecast. We also laid out the components that accounted for the growth. Mostly, this is interesting, mostly the lack of inventory destocking, which means growth will be subtracted in Q1 instead, a bizarre jump in exports despite the soaring dollar, and last but not least, a jump in healthcare spending and a surge of RV purchases. It's interesting that Americans are purchasing RVs again. Um, I don't, I don't, we'll go back to 2020. I don't want to go off on a tangent around that, but you know, RV purchases are always interesting because it just shows, you know, that could be a lot of factors as I'm thinking through it. Potentially people that, you know, want to sell their house and they've got a low interest rate. They don't want to buy another house. They need to relocate, um, but they don't want to pay the high housing prices yet. Um, people, you know, looking for freedom as they're having their awakening, which many of you have had. So they want to go on the road for a year. There's a lot of reasons why RV purchases could be um, spiking. But what was interesting with this um, is the the destocking, the inventory destocking, which means growth will be subtracted in Q1 instead. One thing that I've understood as a business owner, um, at the end of the year, if we've got a hundred thousand or a million dollars worth of inventory and you report that inventory, um, there you are you are taxed on that essentially at the end of the day um, in some states and and different. Uh, areas of taxation, but that could be, that could be part of it too. And part of the reason why they destock, destocking could be, 
Um, obviously, selling comes to mind, but but the reality is, um, even though inventory levels are decreasing, um, that wouldn't create a huge surge of of or the fact that they're saying that it's going to be subtracted. Um, the growth would be subtracted in Q1 instead. I mean, that would just be a drop in sales. But if we're writing down our inventory value, so maybe we purchased it at a hundred thousand, but then you devalue that because it's not worth what it was. Um, that's really just, you know, again, financial games that, that businesses play on their balance sheet. Um, so yeah, it's going to get interesting to see what this really, you know, has, has to say about true GDP. But the reality is even if the GDP was accurate and I alluded to this, um, on a couple Instagram posts, uh, maybe even in a previous podcast, but the thing that's interesting about GDP too, and I've had a couple people argue with me on this and, and get into the semantics of it, which I understand their point, but the reality is as inflation goes up, um, I use the example of an iPhone. I mean, if you go back four years ago, an iPhone was, you know, 850 at the upper end and it seemed expensive. And um, then it goes to a thousand and then 1100 and then 12,000 um, every year. And so the price of the iPhone goes up. And so even if the quantity or the number of iPhone sales that happen stays the same, then GDP goes up because the inflation has pushed the pricing of this stuff, whether it's milk, whether it's iPhones, whatever it is. And there is some adjustments I get that for inflation. But at the end of the day, that's kind of my argument too, that, you know, whether it's right or wrong, and I'm not an economist, I'm not educated or trained in, in economics, but at the end of the day, even if I'm totally off base on that, um, my my core point here is just the numbers games that get played along with us. And this is a great example because they're not pointing out the fact um, that uh, you know our debt rose by the level that it did uh, two and a half times what the the GDP did based on a percentage basis. But for every dollar of GDP growth we increased $2.50 in the debt. And of course, we don't want to talk about that. We want to just point out that the GDP went up by 3.3%. Um, and we were only predicting 2%, which sounds great. Um, and again, it is good for you know every everyday Americans, I guess. But when the price of everything has gone up too, um, you know, how does that really affect everyday Americans' pocketbooks, which is the real discussion that so many of us are having even though everything sounds great in the economy, a lot of people are not filling it in their pocketbooks, which again is one of the main reasons why I love affordable housing, specifically manufactured home communities. And I will state, if you're an accredited investor, we currently have an income fund in the manufactured housing space that's paying 12% for 12 months, 14% for 24 months. If you're, inter if you're interested in that, text the word income to 480-531-7519 and we can get you information on that. These are shorter term. Um, it's a debt fund, um, so it, it's not equity. It's it's there's no appreciation. There's no tax benefits. If you're interested in a place to park some of your cash while you're waiting for the, you know, real estate market to implode, which again I've said this all along, I don't think it's going to implode. There may be a small reset, but lack of inventory in in the term of housing, even if interest rates come down, I have a feeling that that's going to create so much activity in the market that real estate prices are just going to shoot back up and we're going to be in the same problem that we were before because builders are not putting out inventory at the same pace that we were. And you guys have seen all this too. Um, you know, rental companies, entire communities are being bought up for rent to own. Um, yeah, there might be some opportunity to, you know, buy a, I was just talking to Aaron Muchastegi yesterday on the King's Table podcast, which by the way, we are bringing the King's Table podcast to the podcast platforms at your asking, 
we had the idea to try this on YouTube only, but what we've realized is even though the YouTube audience has been fantastic and we're going to stay there and I would love for you to watch on YouTube. Um, the thing that I've realized is that people that are similar to me when I'm working out or when I'm driving or, you know, when I'm taking a shower, when I'm getting ready, don't want to go to YouTube. I want to listen to my podcast. So it will be on all the platforms starting tomorrow. Um, just go search the King Table podcast, same logo as YouTube. You'll see me, Amucha, uh, Aaron Amuchastegi, Maddie Aitchison, and Ashish Nathu. Um, so if you've listened to that podcast before and you loved it when it was on my show, it's coming back, but it's its own show. So make sure you tune in tomorrow and leave us a five-star review. Um, would appreciate that. But what I was saying is um, I was talking you know, with Aaron Amuchastegi about this yesterday, and he was mentioning a friend of his that um, bought an Airbnb and it's actually gone up in value over the last few years, but there, oh, actually it was him. It was actually him. He bought a, a Airbnb, a short-term rental when his daughter was having some health issues and had to be in this place for six months back East. And he just bought a short-term rental and they stayed there when they were there. And, and it was booked all but like 12 days last year and they have no bookings for this year. And so he's actually selling um, that property and, and coming back to the core point, um, there might be some inventory that comes back on the market in terms of single family because of, you know, the rush to Airbnb, which I said this in 2021, 2022, um, you know, I thought that a lot of the housing problem issues that we were having were because a certain percentage of inventory was, and it wasn't a huge part of the problem, but, um, inventory was being taken out of, uh, single family home ownership and being moved over into Airbnb, which I'm not saying that was a problem in my mind. Um, but it was a challenge for the housing industry. And so as some of that inventory, you know, gets put back into single family, that will help. But builders have not kept up since 2008. We know that we've been 2000 units short for a lot of years. It's going to be even worse on the tail end of all of this because builders have not been building at the same pace. So even if real estate or even if interest rates drop and you see a flurry of activity, I think it's just going to push you know, bidding wars and housing prices and all of that stuff back up. And most of you know this, but the reality is, is what dictates the price of housing, whatever somebody's worth willing to pay for it and can get an appraisal for. So if a house that, you know, say we see a, a decline of 8% or 10%, which a lot of areas are not showing a decline in values. I saw an article yesterday um, I forgot what market it was talking about, but they actually had a 4% increase in values. It was one of the Midwest markets where, you know, Austin is reporting an 8% decrease. Um, so there's certain markets that are having a big decrease, but those, those markets that are having a big decrease like Austin is also the market that went up by 30% over two and a half years. And so it needs a market correction because if something went up 30% and it comes down 8%, and so you're at 22% and you divide that by three, I mean, you're still at a 7% plus increase average over the previous three years, which is above the 5% normal over time. So a decrease in certain markets isn't a bad thing, but a lot of markets are not actually seeing a decrease. They're still seeing a, an increase in property values. And so, you know, even if we see a decrease based on interest rates, I think it's going to be short-lived because as people get into bidding wars, it's going to push the appraisal values up. And then when a home is sold for you know, an 8% increase or a 10% increase, then it sets the new comp for the next home. And, and that's what drives the cycle all over again. So anyway, to wrap that up for you, real estate investors that I started that with the income fund, because a lot of our investors are just looking for a place to park capital. And we're not doing a lot of equity. We're not, I haven't done any equity investments since 2019. We are looking at a couple of potential acquisitions, but that 
is yet to come to pass. So a lot of investors are looking for places to put capital until they see the blood in the streets. But again, I don't think we're even going to see that. So part of me is just like, you know, carry on, park your money somewhere where it's relatively safe for a good return um, or, you know, very safe for a poor return, one or 2% in the bank. But I don't know if you saw yesterday, um, the banking industry is having challenges and I'm recording this February 1st, but there's a bank that um, I think acquired Signature Bank's assets that um, plummeted by like 40 some percent yesterday or the day before. Um, and, you know, the Fed and the Treasury is saying that they're going to end the the bank, um, I forget what they call it, but uh, the bank salvation program, I'm going to call it, that they put in place when um, um, Silicon Valley Bank was having issues and all of that. They're going to end that in March. And so, you know, I don't even know how safe banks are right now. But anyway, that was kind of all based on the income fund. Um, I'm curious, you know, reach out to me on Instagram, shoot me a text at 480-531-7519. Let me know where I'm right. Let me know where I'm wrong. I'm curious about your take on real estate. Um, but again, if you're interested in that income fund, text the word income to 480-531-7519. Anyway, pulling it back to this and I'll wrap it up. The result for better or worse speaks for themselves while quarter four GDP rose by 3.29 billion, yay, to 27.939 that seems weird. Um, anyway, the percentage is, is right. A respectable, if made up number. What is much more disturbing is that over the same time period, the US budget deficit rose by more than 50% or 5.10 billion. In quarter four, we went up by 50%, 5.10 billion. And the cherry on top, the increase in public US debt in the same three month period was a stunning 834 billion or 154% more than the increase in GDP. In other words, it now takes $1.55 in budget deficit to generate a dollar of growth. And it takes over $2.50 in new debt to generate $1 of GDP growth. You can go over to Zero Hedge and just Google GDP number and, and you'll see this and you'll get to see the charts. But again, that's pretty crazy. $1 of GDP growth takes $1.55 in budget deficit and $2.50 in new debt. So let me wrap this up. What does that mean for us? You know, on one side, a lot of people would see this and be like, oh my God, we're heading for a cliff. We're going to fall off a cliff. Um, you know, there's the Kiyosaki's of the world who've, Peter Schiff's who've, by the way, I'm a big, big fan of both of them, but both of them have predicted the last, um, you know, 37 of, of the last, you know, three recessions. So they're, there's a lot of people out there that are just constantly looking at this saying the end of the world is near, but I have a little bit different take on this. Here's the thing. The music does have to end at some point. The thing that I don't know is when, and I don't want to be the guy that's waiting for the next 50 years. By the way, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. If you don't know this, and I think so many times about, you know, generations since when Jesus died in the book of Acts and, and the disciples were saying, you know, the end is near. Jesus is coming back. And you fast forward 100 years, Jesus is coming back. And you fast forward 1,500 years, the end of the world is near. And you fast forward to 2,000, the end of the world is near. <laughs> this is human nature um, for us to go into fear mode and think that the end is near. And I have a little different take on this. We didn't create the rules. I don't see the, the, the printing press shutting off anytime soon. And if the government has to create $2.50 of new debt, to generate a dollar of GDP growth, I think we need to be thinking through the same lens that they are because we didn't create the system. We didn't choose to live in a fiat currency, but this is the system that we live in. 
And I think that we need to really analyze the idea of not utilizing debt, um, not deploying our capital, sitting on capital and waiting. Um, now, again, you need to keep that capital safe, but the reality in the end of the day, it takes, if you just correlate this back to your own life and portfolio, for every dollar of financial growth, GDP growth, gross domestic product in your own portfolio, every dollar of net worth growth, cash flow growth, all of that, if the same correlation applies, then you need to generate debt, $2.50 of new debt. And when we go out and buy a mobile home park or a single family house that is $100,000 or let's just say a million dollars, you go get 60 or 70 or 80 dollars of debt for every dollar that you create in GDP growth. How's that possible? Just just work it out, you know, work out the math. It's not exactly the same obviously, but I'm just correlating it back. What do you need to do in order to buy a 100,000 or a 500,000 or a million dollar property? How much cash do you have and are you able to do that and how long will it take you to save that? as Dave Ramsey would say, in order to buy that property. And how much would you make once you did that? It might take you 10 years of savings to buy your first single family property. And the whole time that you're waiting, 10 years from now, that single family property is not going to be $500,000. It's going to be 1.5 million at the rate that we're going. And so even though you're planning on saving $500,000 to buy your first rental, it ain't going to be $500,000. It's going to be 1.5 million. So I say... We got to shift our mindset around this. We didn't create the system, but you have to figure out how to buy assets with leverage. There's very few businesses that start with pure cash that actually excel and accelerate. And there's very few real estate investors that buy them all in cash that actually excel or accelerate. And yes, long-term it can compound, but the reality is we have to understand the game that's being played. We have to understand the playing field that we're in and we have to play the game as the rules are written. We can't create our own rules when we're on the playing field. So my question for you is, what are you gonna do with all this? I would love to hear from you on Instagram. If you like the show, please give me a five-star review, share it with somebody, um, tag me on Instagram, share it on LinkedIn, wherever you're at. I appreciate you guys go out there and make it great. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.